Welcome to Habits for Happiness with Lady Fuller. The path to happiness is paved with healthy habits. We spend much of our lives searching for happiness when the key we're looking for is right there inside of us. We can discover that key through habit change, which you're about to learn about. Now, here is your host, Lady Fuller. Everyone, I am Lady Fuller, your host for Habits for Happiness, a new show right here on Voice America's Empowerment Network. Today is our fourth episode here on Voice America, and today to talk about happiness and how our habits can influence our happiness is the amazing and fabulous guest, Gretchen Rubin. But before we bring Gretchen on, I just wanted to reintroduce myself. I am Lady Fuller, a habits and success coach. I help people find their internal happiness through daily habit change. I like to use Jay Shetty's line that I help people go from monkey mind to monk mind. So each week, I'll be coming to you with an incredible guest, each of whom will discuss a habit or topic that has been pivotal to their success. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to today's super guest, the impressive happiness guru, Gretchen Rubin. Welcome, Gretchen. Hello. I'm so happy to be talking to you today. Unintended. So let me give you the bio because it's so impressive and I'm just thrilled that you're here. The honor is all mine. So Gretchen is today's one of today's most influential and thought-provoking observers of happiness and human nature. I love that part about human nature. She's known for her ability to distill and convey complex ideas with humor and clarity in a way that's accessible to a wide audience. She's the author of many books, including the blockbuster New York Times bestseller, The Four Tendencies, Better Than Before, which is about habits, and The Happiness Project, and and her latest work, which is my personal favorite, Outer Order and Inner Calm, which is also a New York Times bestseller. And she is an enormous readership, both in print and online, and her books have sold over three and a half million copies worldwide in more than 30 languages. And The Happiness Project, I should add, spent two years on the bestseller list. Um, On her top-ranking award-winning podcast, Happier, with Gretchen Rubin, she discusses happiness and good habits with her sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And if you haven't listened, do. It's so amazing. She's been interviewed by Oprah, eaten dinner with Daniel Kahneman, walked arm-in-arm with the Dalai Lama, had her work written up in a medical journal, and been an answer on the game show Jeopardy. In her work, she draws from cutting-edge science, the wisdom of the ages, lessons from popular culture, and her own experiences to explore how we can make our lives happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative. Something you may not know about Gretchen is she started her career in law and was clerking for Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor when she realized she wanted to be a writer. And she was raised in Kansas City and now lives in New York with her husband and two daughters. Welcome, Gretchen. That is quite the intro. Well, well, thank you very much. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. Yes, likewise. And I should tell the audience, you know, Gretchen is a happiness guru, but she's also sort of my happiness hero. So it is really just exciting to have you here. And so let's get right to it. So today I was going to let the um, listeners know that we had discussed with your team a couple of different habits that we might discuss today because I often have people choose a habit or guess, and we had decided to just talk about happiness because who better than you to discuss oh, happiness? Wow, and it's such a great subject, yes. Yeah. And so I'd like to start with your definition of happiness. Obviously, it's a subjective topic, right? So it's like a subjective 
um, uh, thing for all of us. So tell us how you define happiness, what it means to you. Well, as you mentioned, I started my career in law where you spend an entire semester arguing about the definition of contract. Um, and when it, you know, when it came to happiness, happiness is even more elusive uh, to define. There are something like 15 academic definitions of happiness. And I really decided that for the ordinary person, the looseness of the term happiness is actually an advantage. I mean, scientists have to be ex extremely specific about what they're talking about. But I think for the average person, okay, you want to say it's bliss, and I say it's joy, and you say it's serenity, and I say it's satisfaction and some well-being. Um, I think that we can all sort of define it for ourselves rather than arguing about whether joy is the same as bliss, which <laughs> some people really want to, you know, tussle up about that. I think it's more helpful to think about being happier because when people think about happiness, it sort of suggests this final state. How do you cross that, cross that finish line? How would you get there? What does it look like? How do you stay there? Which is not really realistic. I think it's more realistic for most of us to say, well, if I change this habit, if I started reading more, if I started going to bed earlier, if I started eating health, more healthy breakfast, do I think I would be happier tomorrow, next month, next year? Um, it's easier to see what moves us in the right direction. I think that's more clear than saying like, am I happy or does this make me happy? Which at least for me starts to get really confusing. Totally. So what? So what's your personal definition of happiness for you? I don't think about what's the definition of happiness. I just think, well, would this make me happier? It's like, oh, if I texted my family regularly to be in touch better, would that make me happier? And I'm like, yeah, that would make me happier. And I, like I don't that. really think about what is the definition of happiness. Kind of know like it that. when I see it. Yeah, yeah. So now that we've sort of, like, there is no what, right? Mm -hmm. um, so where is it? Like, most people ask, like, okay, I want to be happier. Like, where is happiness? Is it inside of us? Is it out there? Is it, is it somewhere well, it's else? It's inside of us. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. for each of us, you know, we all have our own happiness. And that's one of the great challenges. Yeah. No one can make us happy. We can't make someone else be happy. Um, we each have to find our, the happiness ourselves. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who would say, well, other people make, you know, other people do have the power to make me unhappy. I mean, that's like a philosophical debate you could have over and over. What mm -hmm. would you say to them? Well, that's a very, I mean, you put your finger right there. It's a very, very complex issue. And I don't want to be unrealistic and say like, oh, you know, it's just a matter <laughs> of your mind and your external conditions that matter. Of course they matter. Um, but the fact is, um, uh, you know, about 50% of happiness is genetically determined. So some people are born Siggers and some people are born Eeyores. And, you know, that's kind of hardwired what their sort of their natural, uh, uh, you know, temperament is. Then about 10 to 20% is something called life circumstances. So that's things like age, occupation, health, income, marital status, which we have some control over in some ways and some ways not. And then all the rest is very much influenced by our conscious thoughts and actions. And so that's what I really focus on is just that, th that you know, what can I do? What habits could I form? What habits could I break mm. um, that would be likely to make me happier, healthier, more productive and more creative? And certainly other people influence that and they influence me. Um, uh, one of the best ways to make ourselves happy is to make other people happy. One of the best ways to make other people happy is to be happier ourselves. Happiness is very, like, we really exchange emotional information with people very, very rapidly. I can even, like, speak to somebody on the phone or look at a photograph of them, and they're starting to fill me with an emotional charge. So 
uh, we we absolutely do not exist in a vacuum. And it's really good to point that out because I think sometimes when you're thinking about happiness, you sort of just think about, okay, well, what would I do? But of course, you always have to think of yourself in the context mm-hmm. of the larger community, the world, your family, the neighbors who live on the same floor of the apartment building with you, your coworkers, all these things, uh, the people in your Instagram feed. Um, yeah. There's all kinds of communities that we belong to. Um, and we're constantly, um, you know, thinking about their happiness and our happiness. Yeah. So I, I'm going to make an assumption here, but you, you know, obviously you're a happiness researcher and um, you talk to a lot of people that are probably pretty happy and, you know, have, have looked and done a lot of research about this. So what do the happiest people have in common? Mm. Yeah, well, there's a lot of research into that question, and what they find, what what what, uh, and contemporary scientists find this, and this is this is what ancient philosophers would tell you is that it's relationships. To be happy, we need to have intimate, enduring bonds. We have to feel like we can confide. We have to feel like we belong. We need to feel like we can uh, get support, and just as important for happiness, we need to feel like we can give support. And so, when they look for the people who are happiest. Um, they're the people who have strong, enduring bonds. Um, and and when they look for people, when they like, kind of dial into that and say, okay, like, let's, let's look at work. Who are the people who tend to be happiest at work? It's people who say, I have a friend at work, not just somebody I make chit chat with, you know, by the coffee machine, but somebody that I feel like has my back, mm-hmm. who I could confide in an important secret, like who I really trust. I have a true friend at work. Or do I feel like my direct boss, not like the visionary leader that is like a corporate headquarters, but my boss cares about my future, that they're looking out for me and they want, you know, they want to help me achieve my aims for myself. So these are relationships and these are these are really the things that are very important to us. Wow. So on the the flip side, so would it be fair to assume that the people that are the unhappiness have the weakest relationships? Well, loneliness is a huge issue. There's just increasing attention, not only by sort of researchers and people interested in happiness, but even like governments and health care uh, specialists, because loneliness is a terrible social problem. And it's also a tremendous health problem. It's like people who are lonely are very, they're at risk for all kinds of uh, negative health consequences. Um, and, you know, we are we are wired to be social creatures and to feel isolated, to feel alone, um, to feel uh, like no one cares or no one's paying attention. Um, this really, um, it, you know, is, is a tremendous burden on people. So it, it is when people are feeling lonely. And, and this is the interesting thing is you would think that if a person is lonely, that they would they kind of they would lo- not say lower their standards, but they would be mm-hmm. more open to relationships, right? Because they're eager for relationships. So they would connect kind of maybe more than a person who was in a happier, more like social, socially secure state. But what the research suggests is this isn't true, that actually loneliness is like, it's so, it's such a, it's so, it's so onerous. It's so difficult that actually lonely people can kind of tend to become prickly and judgmental. And then it's harder to connect with them. So if you are feeling lonely, kind of make sure that you're sending out an open vibe because it is easy um, to um, to not uh, convey that kind of openness to to um, to connection. Um, yeah, that's so, that's so interesting. Like, right? It's very it's very it's contrary like- to what you would expect, right? 
Exactly. I mean, you know, I, as a coach, I always joke with people that, you know, humans, we just, we love suffering. I don't know what it is about us, but we just we love it. <laughs> Sometimes it makes us feel safe, I think, because we know it's survivable. We've lived through X, Y, and Z. And this idea of being happier, is a bit scary, right? Which kind of plays into this idea of, you know, being prickly if we're lonely, you know, we're safe if we're lonely, we're safe in our homes, mm-hmm. especially if COVID happens, you know, COVID happens and we can sort yeah. of isolate, right? And so what tips would you have for people that, you know, want to deepen relationships if they know that's a habit or tool to mm-hmm. greater happiness for all these people who, you know, you know, have these markers of happiness? Mm. Oh, so many habits that are great uh, for deepening connection. So one of the things you want to think about is on the one hand, you want to deepen existing connections, and then you also want to broaden connections. And so you would sort of take a different tack depending on whether you're deepening or broadening. So for habits that might work for something like deepening, like what we did in my family, my, my parents live in Kansas City, my sister lives in, uh, in Los Angeles, and I live in New York, so we're very spread out. So we do a thing called update. So every several days, we send an email and you could do this by text or however you want to connect with your college roommates or your old neighbors or whatever. Um, and an update is just the boring details of your life. Because if you've noticed, like if you see people all the time, you have a lot to say. And if you see people rarely, it's, it's sort of like you kind of don't even know what to talk about. Isn't that interesting? You're so excited to talk to each other, but you don't have anything to say. And what we found, and this was actually my mother's insight. Um, so she gets the gold star. Um, that just by having this minutia, this boring day, and the, the, the motto of update is it's okay to be boring. Having this minutia gives you a lot more to talk about and you just feel much closer. So this mm-hmm. is a very easy, and we don't usually respond to updates. So it's not something where you have to craft some kind of like witty, interesting email or text. And it's not like you have to, when you get one, you're like, oh gosh, now I got to answer that. It's like, oh, I'm going to delay reading it because I just don't want to deal with it. It's like, no What's the structure you. of the update? It's, it's literally like my dad will be like, I got my hair cut today. I went to Costco <laughs> and, uh, you know, they brought the samples back and uh, I played golf and this is how it went. I mean, it's just that boring. Yeah, it sounds and, like a great day, actually. No, but. it's like I'm debating whether I need to get a new office chair because like <laughs> the, le- the like, whatever's on the handles is like peel it, flaking off. Um, you know, I mean, it's just the most boring stuff, but it really makes you feel closer and it's not hard. Another thing that you can do is you can really go out of your way to give a really warm hello and goodbye when people come and go. And this could be at the office because like it's a bad feeling when you walk in in the morning and no one looks up for their screen or your own household because it's kind of sad when you're like, okay, I'm leaving, but nobody even cares that I'm walking out the door. Like really taking the time to acknowledge, um, you know, look someone in the eye say hello or goodbye. And if it's your family, you know, maybe give a hug or a kiss. So the, and that really creates this sort of attentive, you know, feeling that um, is what we want. We want to feel like people care if we're there or not. They notice if we come and go. And again, this is very easy because I'm all about the things that you can do as part of your ordinary day because no one's got a lot of time, energy, or money, you know? So what are manageable things? No, trickier is probably broadening because so if you're define lonely, deepening oh. and broadening for oh. the audience, just so okay. everybody has a visual of like what sure. you know deepening and broadening are. So deepening is you have an existing relationship, but you're like, you know what? I think I want to make that more active. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to foster this. I want to nurture this. So I, I, my sister is one of my most important relationships to my life, but maybe I'm caught in out of, but she's three hours behind me. So maybe I'm not talking to her as much as I should. And I'm kind of, 
Or, you know, I have this old neighbor that I always ever so much fun whenever we get together, but it, gosh, long time has gone by with COVID. Of course, all this disruption, a lot of people that you might've normally just sort of seen in the course of life, you have to explicitly connect with. So really to take the time to notice like, okay, how long has it been since I've seen that person? Like, let me deepen that. Let me, let me activate that. Um, maybe there's somebody, you know, um, that, uh, that just like they've moved away or my kids, uh, my, my kids aren't in that school anymore, or I've switched jobs. And so my dear friend that I used to spend hours like joking around with every day, who's still so important to me, you know, I just don't, you know, so deep in that relationship, bring it back into kind of active service. And then broadening is like, who are the people that I can bring into my social circle? If I'm feeling lonely, if I'm feeling like, wow, gosh, over the years, I really like my, my friendship circle has shrunk or I've moved to a new city and I don't know how, like, how do you make friends? I don't know how you don't make friends if you're not in school. So right. some of the things to think about that I am a big fan of joining or starting a group because it can feel funny to talk about efficiency and friendship, but it's easy. It's so, there's so many reasons that joining or starting a group is a great way to build relationships. One Give us an is, example. With okay. the so what you want to do is you want to pick something that you're interested in. So like I, I love reading, so I'm in a book group, but I also love children's literature. So I'm in a book group where we talk about children's literature. Um, my father-in-law is in a group where they talk about fly fishing. They don't go fly fishing together. They just talk about fly fishing. I know a bunch of guys who were like, look, we're not going to have a book group where we read the book. We're never going to finish the books. So they take turns choosing like famous profiles from the New Yorker magazine and because these are beautifully written. They're about interesting, eminent people um, and they're manageable. So they'll read it and then they'll discuss the article and discuss the person. And, and, and they, they love that. A friend of mine is like, I want to start a group for people who read People magazine. I would always be caught up and I have a lot to say. I'm like, great. Be What's in that group. I'm, I'm yeah, still yeah, stuck yeah. on the fly fishing. No, no, There's I think it's enough right. to talk oh, about <laughs> without you know fly fishing. <laughs> you know the podcast Serial? Yes, um, yes. So I have a friend who's like deep in the audio world. And so when, when Serial was like new and the new big thing and, and like new episodes were dropping, he was part of a group called Serial and Serial. And so Sunday, Sunday morning, <laughs> they would all get together. They would eat breakfast cereal and they would all listen to the latest episode of Serial. They together. ate they Serial. Were, they would eat cereal and just like all listen to the episode together and then talk about it. Cereal and cereal. I'm like, this is great. But so Kings they, of the double entendre. Right. This is so, so you don't have to do something that, you know, or, or you know, or, or it's like a, a, you could join a, like a yoga class, you mm-hmm. know, which is a group that meets regularly. Because what you want is you want there to be something that that connects the people. Right. Because why are you coming together? There's something you have something to talk about because you're interested in something, like even someone you might not ordinarily be friends with. You, this is what happens at work. You have, you're have you a part of a group and you have something in common because you're working towards the same aim because you work in the same place. Yeah. So you have something in common. You have something to talk about. It's like, if you miss one, that's okay. Cause you'll come next time. You meet once a month or once every six weeks or whatever it is. So you miss one. That's okay. You're not making a lot of one-off plans with people because for busy people, making plans is just, it's so burdensome. You're like, I just can't even face yeah. Let's have coffee. When works for you? What works for me? I need to reschedule. It just, it's just exhausting. This, it's like, let's meet the first Monday of every month, unless it's a national holiday. Okay, done. See you at 7 p.m. or whatever it is. Um, and also you tend to meet new people. One of the best ways, here's a tip. If you want to make new friends, one of the best ways to find friends is to make friends with the friends of your friends. So lady, if you have a friend. I love this. 
I should try to make friends with your friends. Cause if you and I are friends and your friend, you know, so that's a way to, that's like an easy place to go. And often when groups come together, that is exactly what happened. So that's when I started my children's literature reading group, I asked one friend and she said, I have another friend who would like to do it. So that friend, so now I have somebody who I've never met who's now part of my group. And so through that, the group extends and then you're creating a social network. All these people know each other. They all have something in common. And yet you're bringing new people into your circle. And this is just incredibly energizing. If you make a new friend, my daughter is in 11th grade and she's like made a new friend. And it's just like, she's so excited because it is no matter what age you are, it's so exciting to have. Well, a there has friend. to be biology behind that. So, what's oh, the biology? Oh, why are we making? Why connection? Why does it make us feel happier? Why does it make us feel better? Because we are social. We are wired to be social creatures. Mm-hmm. We are the most social creature on the planet. We depend on other people. Other people are our safety, and other people are our danger. We have. We are. Con- mm-hmm. I'm working on a book about the five senses, and one of the things that's very interesting is what do the five senses care about? other people. All Mm. of our senses have special attunement. Like the way we hear, we're specially attuned to the wavelengths related to the human voice. And we're really, really good at picking up the human voice, even amidst all the noise. It's like, Ooh, I know how to, I know I can hear that. And do you think that has to do with like our ability to like survive in the wild as more primal beings, right? So this is like hardwired into us. This is not just sort of, you know, new, this is something no. old. You talk about the ancients, they've been telling us this, right? Yes. For a long time. Yes. No, I think this is all the way back to, you know, thousands and thousands of years. No, I think this, this comes out of our, uh, like our deep, deep evolutionary um, background. Yeah. Um, so we just, I- it just makes us feel happier. It makes us feel safer. Um, it makes us feel more connected. Um, it just, it really, it really is very important to happiness. Yeah, so we, just bringing up the ancients, since we're talking about them right now, one of the things I love in my work is telling people, the ancients have been telling us that happiness lives inside of us for thousands of years. And why have we forgotten that? What's happened in our society that, you know, for thousands of years, we have all this writing and, <laughs> um, and all these, from all these different, you know, but religions and think, cultures. I don't think they did it any better back then. I think this is just a common <laughs> I think this is just the challenge because it was just a struggle then as well. Uh, there has been no time, I don't think, where where people haven't struggled with these issues. I think you put your finger on, you know, kind of one of the one of the the constant tensions that's in human life. And I I, I don't know that, uh, you know, um, I, 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 I'm not so sure that they had it all figured out. Yeah. So in our current culture. What is, you know, why is a society, do we get in our own way of happiness if it's inside of us? Well, I mean, I think we can get distracted by what we think should make us happy or what other people want for us um, or what we, what we think we should want for ourselves. And it can be easy to get sort of torn away from our own nature. I mean, it's funny because one of the things that I, I write about and think about all the time is self-knowledge. And you would think like self-knowledge. I mean, I just hang out with myself all day long. Like what can be easier than knowing myself, but is such a, like, as your question suggests, it's so hard. Like you can't just look in the mirror and see yourself clearly. So one of the things I do is try to find questions that will help us like find what, you know, what's the truth about me. For instance, um, what do you lie about? Because when you lie, that means that in some way your actions don't reflect your values. So I have a friend who 
when the pediatrician said, how much TV do your kids watch every day? She's like, oh, I totally lied. Do we all lie about something? I think probably we do, um, or pr- most of us. Um, another great question. A lot of adults say, I don't know what to do for fun. I'm so focused on fun for the whole family and working and like getting stuff done. I don't even know what I would do for fun. So a great question is, what did you do for fun when you were 10 years old? Because what you did for fun when you were 10 is probably you would enjoy the adult version now if it was going for a bike ride in a park, if it was playing with your dog, if it was doing arts and crafts. It was talking about fly fishing. It was talking about fly fishing. If you like fly fishing, I talked to somebody who was like, oh, I spent my whole childhood fishing in the stream. And yet I haven't gone fishing in 10 years. I'm like, why go fishing? And and like, just as I was saying it, he was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go this weekend. He'd kind of people playing music. People love music. They'll, they'll play all through their kind of their childhood and youth. And then they get distracted from it and they can reclaim it. So when you say there's a connection between finding that wonder that we've put aside as we grow up and happiness as adults. Absolutely. Yeah. Because somehow we, um, you know, we dump our curiosity along the way as we become, you know, more, as is my observation, as we become more judgmental and try to sort life through. Um, well, no one's different- more judgmental than kids. I mean, I don't think that <laughs> that's true. They're, they're that's like a really good point. I, don't, yeah. I think a lot of times. <laughs> We may not progress very much, but we have, we have, we probably haven't fallen down very much either. I mean, I think yeah, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. In life. <laughs> well, Gretchen, we're headed for a break. So we're going to hold this thought and I want to come back and talk about habits and specific habits that you have, because they're so integral, obviously, as the show suggests to happiness. And as you write in many of your different books and i um, excited to talk about those. So everybody hang tight and we'll be back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to reward clients, customers, or employees with a gift that will blow their socks off? We at International Gifting Company have your next corporate event covered. We carry 250 personalized gifts for on-site incentive events. Or we can create virtual gift boxes your employees and clients can receive at home. Contact us today for a quick and free proposal. We love to wow. Contact info at intlgiftingco.com or check out our webpage at intlgiftingco.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Try out a free coaching session with your host, Lady Fuller, to learn more about our individualized and corporate coaching programs. Learn to drop bad habits and pick up healthier habits to live a healthier life. Email her at lady at happinessmba.com. That's L-A-D-Y at happinessmba.com. Or check out our coaching business at habits, the letter for happiness.com. 
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Habits for Happiness. To reach the show today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Now, back to our program. Here again is Lady Fuller. And we're back. Thanks, everyone, for hanging in there. We're here with happiness guru, author, speaker, and human behavioral specialist, the amazing Gretchen Rubin. Welcome back, Gretchen. Hi. Great to talk to you. Yeah. So, you know, in your book, uh, Better Than Before, uh, which is about mastering habits, right? So, this is my specific book that I really loved. You write about the essential seven. And it was so funny at first when I read about the essential seven, I thought, oh, he's going (laughs) to, she's going to talk about Stephen Covey's. (laughs) Seven habits of highly effective people, but it isn't. And tell tell listeners what the essential seven are and how listeners can use these categories to either take inventory of our lives or, you know, assess their own happiness. I thought they were really powerful. So, um, so yeah, it's seven, uh, uh, seven comes up a lot. Seven's a you seven, know, seven. As, essential, the essential the, seven. Yeah. Yeah. As we know from Harry Potter, seven is the most yes. powerfully magical number. Um, and it's like five plus or minus two. Um, the so yeah, this is because I, and I know you do the same thing. You talk to people constantly about like what habits make you happier, and people have all different habits. Um, maybe one person wants to get up at seven a.m., but one person wants to get up at eight a.m. You know, or one person wants to read more, and another person wants to practice guitar. But they tend to fall into these big seven categories. So it's sort of like what are the overarching categories that just about anything that a person would want to do would fit in. So you might say um, there are ones related to uh, relationships, like we were just talking about relationships. And so, you know, whether your particular habit is that you want to deepen relationships or broaden a relationship, um, uh, all the relationships uh, aims would fit under that category. So there are seven. Now, I'm afraid that I can't call, call them up uh, off the top <laughs> of my head um, to the seven. Um, maybe you have the list in front of you. No, I don't have the list in front of me, but the, but you do talk about the seven being an architecture or just habits being an architecture for happiness. So could you give me some of the most common habits for happiness? Well, you know, um, or maybe your, your, your most, the habits that you bring you the happiest, most happiness. Well, one of the things to think about if you're trying to be happier is your own body, because your physical experience always colors your emotional experience. So if you're thinking about wanting to be happier, and certainly when I started thinking about, well, how can I be happier? I wanted to think about um, my physical, my physical, my energy and kind of my physical comfort, strength, vitality. So I make sure to get enough sleep. I am a sleep zealot. And so, um, and a lot of people have uh, habits related to sleep, whether Mm. that's going to bed on time, how to get more restful sleep, like without waking up with having racing thoughts about how to get up on time and not like fall into the trap of the snooze alarm. Totally. Um, Yeah. And so, so there's many, many habits that I follow for that, like setting a bedtime, getting ready for bed well before I plan to get into bed. So, cause I was doing this thing where I was so tired. I couldn't face getting ready. I was like, Oh, too tired to change my clothes and wash my face and take out my contacts. So I would just stay up. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the sleep, it gets sleep. But I heard you even say that you had the habit in an interview of setting an alarm for bed. 
I thought that was really impressive. Yes. Um, And for many, you know, we have an alarm to wake up. Um, So have have an alarm to go to bed to give you that prompt, because a lot of adults sort of have this idea, like, well, I'll go to bed as soon as I'm tired. But then we jack ourselves up with like a snack or checking our email or watching a great ice cream show. Yeah. And so and that kind of artificially wakes us up where, in fact, we really would be feeling very tired and like wanted to head to bed. So setting an alarm is a way to kind of give yourself that um, that cue that's like, okay. Like, maybe I'm not going to bed right this minute, but hey, look, it's 20 minutes past my bedtime. You know, we give little kids bedtimes because we know they need it and we, yeah. we need them too. Okay, um, so we have sleep. So yeah. what's another habit that, you know, a broad reaching sort of topic habit that you find can promote happiness? And you always say, and I love this, is that different habits are different for different people. So it doesn't mean that, you know, everybody needs to follow X, Y, and Z to be happier. It's the habits that suit them, right? Right, exactly. Or, or you're like, we might, you and I might be like trying to achieve the same aim, but we would do it very differently. So another thing, um, and I'm mentioning this, these kind of very foundational things because mm. they, they make it easier to do other things, which is exercise. Exercise is like the magical elixir of life. It like energizes us and calms us down. If you're having trouble sleeping, it helps you to sleep. It helps your mood, your memory, your immune function, just like your just general perspective. Um, And here is a tip. If you want to sleep better and just kind of feel better generally, if you're exercising, let's say you're going to go for a 20-minute walk a day, do it in the early morning because now all this new research is showing how important the circadian rhythm is to all these like deep functions of the body that scientists are only beginning to understand. And the most important signal that comes into the body is morning light. And so if you go outside and you're like, I'm just going to take a 20 minute walk around the block a couple of times with my dog. And like, and then I'm going to sit down and read the paper or whatever, like that morning light, that little bit of exercise. One of the things that's nice is if you go from being completely sedentary to only slightly less sedentary, you get a huge benefit. Mm. So this is not like, hey, you got to train for the marathon. This is like, okay, just just a 20 minute walk or, you know, like. I love you know, that. Yeah. Um, but and and but as to your point, like one person might take a yoga class, somebody might take a loud dance class, somebody else might want to do strength training, somebody else might want to go for a walk in a park where it's not really about the exercise. It's about the exercise, but it also it's nature and solitude and silence. And but somebody else is like, but I want friends and fun and music. That's what I want in part of my exercise. But, you know, we're both kind of thinking about that aim. Um Another so movement. Thing. So we have sleep and then we have yeah. movement and movement yeah. for, you know, these are just sort of universal topics yes. and we can choose what we want to do yes. inside of them. Yes. Right. Okay. And we talked about relationships at length and yeah. that's clearly super important. Mm-hmm. Um, another one. Um, and th- this is funny. It's like, it's to like clear, organize, clean. Ooh, this, is, this is my favorite book. Okay. Outer, <laughs> what I found is that for most people, outer order contributes to inner calm and kind of a sense of energy and focus and possibility. And you might say, hey, look, in the context of a happy life, what difference does it make if my coat closet is so crowded I can barely shut the door? And yet over and over, people say that when they get more control of the stuff in their life, they feel more in control generally. And that by kind of cleaning out these little things, they are often able to ask bigger things of themselves. So like a friend said, I finally cleaned out my fridge and now I know I can switch careers or someone's like, I finally cleaned <laughs> off my desk and now I'm ready to start the annual report. 
Um, or like once, and, and then also truly for many people, like they want hospitality, they want to have friends, but they're embarrassed about like, they're like, oh gosh, I have to do all this stuff. And my guest, I can't have anybody stay in my guest room because it's all full of junk. And like, it, it can kind of weigh on us and prevent us from seeing possibilities or, or engaging with other people. Um, Deepening also, and broadening, right? <laughs> the relationships there that we, we want. Go. Right, yes. yeah. And then um, also, you know, our our things reflect us. And so when you feel good about, you know, uh, when 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 the when your environment reflects you and your identity and what's important to you, that feels good. And so now, but I will say, not everybody feels this way. There are people who are truly clutter blind on the Happier Podcast. Clutter blind. <laughs> I, I talked to Elizabeth about this because my sister Elizabeth is clutter blind. They just don't see it. It does not bother them. The cabinets are open. The drawers are open. The junk, the mail is all all over the counter. There's like socks on the floor instead of in the hamper. They don't care. It doesn't matter to them. And so maybe you're one of these people. Maybe you know one of these people. And so you just have to remember, like, I want it to, like, it's not like one person's right and one person's wrong. And we have to create an environment where both people can thrive. But you can't say to somebody... Like this is like you have to do this because this is just like objectively right. It's not objectively yeah. right. It's a preference that many people share. Um, but even within outer order, some people are simplicity lovers and some people are abundance lovers. And simplicity lovers like bare, bare counters and a lot of room on the shelf and everything put away and kind of like a lot of white space and abundance lovers like profusion and choice and abundance <laughs> and collections and like lots of unexpected juxtapositions. And so I say, oh, my gosh, that's so visually overwhelming. How do you stand it? And somebody says to me, look, this your your way seems sterile and stripped and and impersonal. Yeah, I don't want to be. I, so the and sometimes there people try to convince each other or like a boss says to somebody, well, a cluttered desk means a cluttered mind. Well, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe not. I love the idea of leaving space for people to be, you know, who they are. Right. Yes. So, and you know, you talk about people in four categories, which is just a nice segue into in your book, The Four Tendencies, which mm-hmm. for listeners is also this beautiful book, which characterizes people into four main areas. And I actually went to a dinner party last night and I made everyone take the quiz. Ooh, <laughs> who was at the dinner party? It was my best girlfriends from diapers, you know, and I'm 45. Yeah. So I've known these people forever and we went around and guessed what everyone was. And then Ooh, we took the quiz and they weren't all what we thought they were. Right. So I've, I've, I've heard that you're an uplifter, right? Upholder. Upholder, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Upholder. And I'm a questioner, mm-hmm. shocker, as a host here on the radio show. But um, people weren't what I thought they were. And so mm-hmm. the four tendencies, I just wonder if you could tell listeners sort of what they are and how they qua- classify. That's really what I see them as classifications or yes. categorizations. Yes. Yes. And how those may contribute to habits or happiness. Yeah. Um, and I'll briefly describe this and that works for most people. But if you do, do go to like Gretchen Rubin slash four tendencies, yes. you can take this free quick quiz um, and get a little report. It's but a great so, dinner party activity, by this the way. Is so fun. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I guess that I would love to have been a fly on the wall and heard everybody talking about it. Um, so what this looks at is a very narrow but very significant aspect of your nature, which is how do you respond to expectations? And we all face two kinds of expectations, outer expectations, like a work deadline and inner expectations, like I want to get back into yoga. So I want to keep a New Year's resolution. So depending on whether you meet or resist 
outer or inner expectations, whatever combination, that's what makes you an upholder like me, a questioner like you, an obliger or a rebel. So upholders readily meet both outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. So their motto is discipline is my freedom. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they make it make if they think it makes sense. So they're making everything an inner expectation. If it meets their inner standard, if they think it makes sense, it's justified, it's rational, it's not arbitrary, they'll do it. No problem. But if it fails their standard, they will resist. Then there are obligers. And this is the biggest tendency for both men and women. You are either an obliger or you have many obligers in your life because they are the biggest tendency. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So what they need to meet an expectation is a system of outer accountability. You want to read more, join a book group. You want to exercise, work out with a trainer, work out with a friend who'll be annoyed if you don't show up, raise money for a charity. Um, and so they, these are the people who say something like, I always can keep my promises to other people. Why can't I keep my promises to myself? So oblige, their motto is, oh, the motto of questioners is I'll comply if you convince me why. The <laughs> motto of obligers is you can count on me and I'm counting on you to count on me. And then rebels resist all expectations outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And, and like typically the, they, the thing they don't tell them, themselves what to do. What? Yeah, if, you, if you're if you a boss and you tell a rebel what to do, they yeah. may want to actually do it, but then you tell them to do it yes. and they're less likely to want to do it then, which I thought was yes. super interesting, right? Yes. You know, I just got an email from a rebel yesterday saying like that his boss is somebody who's like one of these like urgency people, like everything has to be done right now, which was very hard for a rebel. And so his boss would be like, this has to be done immediately. And he would be like you know what? I'm going to go make myself some oatmeal. So okay, I'm go do it. And he, would, he said like, but the whole time he was thinking about the problem. And then when he got back to his desk, he was like, now I choose to do this because I want to, I want to help with this problem. And, but he said he needed that time to like come to his own decision to do it. But he said it, he thought it was a problem at work because he was perceived as not being responsive to urgency, but actually the way the boss was framing it was making it harder for him to respond the way the boss wanted him to respond. It would have been better for the boss to say something like, oh my gosh, I'm facing this big challenge. This to me feels like, you know, oh my God, what are we going to do? Yeah. So I wonder, will come to you. Yeah. So I'm wondering if like putting ourselves and others into these, you know, loose categories can help us understand back to what you said at the very beginning of this show we really have to figure out, you know, what it is that makes us happier so that we can decide how to be happier, right? Because it's so subjective. Is there a through line here between these categorizations and, and understanding oh, ourselves? No, absolutely. Because as, as you point out, like often what we need for our happiness is to fo consistently follow a habit. And so right. we know perfectly well we would be happier if we exercise more, slept more, call our friends more, whatever. The problem is the follow through. And when you know your tendency, it's, it becomes very clear. So, so many obligers are like, I just, I know I need to make myself a priority. I know I need to learn to put myself first. I know I need to draw boundaries. I know I like, I just need to get motivated. And I'm like, if you're an obliger, nah, don't worry about any of that <laughs> stuff. Give yourself outer accountability. That's what you need. If you want to read more, join the book group. If you want to 
clean out the guest room, invite somebody to stay in two weeks. Yeah. Like, so it's you, like you have to know the context to be able to work with the content, right? Right. To set up the habit in the way that's right for you. Whereas someone who's an upholder like me, I used to think, I used to just assume that I needed accountability. But the fact is, I don't really need accountability to follow through for things. And the fact is, accountability is often kind of a pain. It can take time and energy to like check off a box or check in with somebody. Like there's a lot of, it, it can be burdensome. And then I was like, you know what? I don't really need to do that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so interesting. Yeah. And I can imagine it's interesting for employers in the workplace too. Yes. If anyone's listening that works in groups and yes. understanding to be able to give other people space. I mean, to me, it's like almost like a behavioral love language or something. It's very much like that. <laughs> That's a really good analogy. Absolutely. Because it's like, you can say everything you want, but what matters is how does somebody hear you? Oh, wow. I love yeah. that. You can yeah. say anything you want, but how does someone hear you? Yeah. Right. Because we, right. you know, this sort of like reaction response is, is part of this happiness piece in some more overarching way. No, because like as, a, as an obliger, I might say to you, listen, you have to follow doctor's orders. And as a rebel, I'm going to say, I don't have to follow anybody's orders. As a questioner, I'd say, what are the doctor's orders? Yeah, well, and why am I, li- why am I <laughs> listening what, to that? And which person? doctor? Are yeah. there more doctors right. that can and tell me what I want to hear? You're telling me to take this medication in the morning. Why is that? Why can't I take it at night? Why can't I, you know, why, like you say to walk 20 minutes. What if I run? What if I bike? What if it's 30 minutes? What if it's 19 minutes? What if it's in the afternoon? What if I, what if I batch it? What if I exercise for four hours on Saturday? Does that count? Like, why, 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 why? Yeah, because I'm also a rebel. So I'm like trying to question my way out of doing something. <laughs> well, it's funny because questioners often fall into the trap of loopholes because they're really good at arguing, like finding all of the whys and the wherefores to let themselves off the hook. So that questioning can kind of make sometimes get make can give them a little bit of a hurdle when it comes to habit formation. Yeah, really for sure. Finding loopholes. Well, what's your favorite habit? Reading. You know, reading mm. is my playground in my cubicle. I read all every day. And, and even though I love it so much, I have a lot of habits around reading to protect it, to make sure that it doesn't get driven out by other things. Because sometimes, like in a busy life, you're like, am I really just going to lie on the sofa and like reread one of my, you know, like a writer's diary from Virginia Woolf, which oh, I just oh, read for like the next like, time. Totally speaking my language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm like, but that's, that's what's so important to me. Like, yeah. I'm and not- you don't, I mean, you don't, you know, I don't watch TV. So for me, being able to read is just, it replaces this other habit of watching mm. TV. Well, I love TV too. So I do watch TV. So then that's two things I have to fit in. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I don't watch TV that I don't want to watch because so often it's like we fall into these habits of like, like my thing is like when I'm really stressed out, sometimes I'll reread a magazine that I've already read because I'm sort of like just too overwhelmed to like be like, okay, go, go get a new magazine or like pick up a book. You have to really be attentive. It's easy yeah. to, get, to get derailed, even so with something you love. Between your reading and your TV watching, I also, Birdie, little Birdie told me that you like to go to the Metropolitan Museum every day in New York. So tell me about that habit and why you keep doing it and what it brings you. So as I said, I'm writing a book about the five senses. And so, and I'm very interested in how things change over time or how like repeating something changes it. And so I wanted to go to the same place every day and look at it. And many people do this, like they'll take a picture of this, of a bridge every day or the sunset every day, or, you know, their garden or, or things like, or like their, their kids in bed or whatever. Um, but so I thought I would go to the Met every day and just sort of see what was the, how did the experience change over time? Like, how did I see it differently as I looked, how did, how did the experience of visiting change 
um, with just doing it every day. And like, how did that feel doing something every day? Because I thought, oh, maybe it'll make me feel sort of uh, overwhelmed because it's like now I have this whole thing that I have to do. Now, of course, I have the enormous, enormous benefit that I live within walking distance of the mat. So I would never discount like how fortunate I am. But many people say that they have a similar habit of like going every day to someplace that's near them, like whether it's a park or a trail or like university grounds that you can walk around that are very pretty. What, you know, people, somebody visited a castle every day. I would like, I would yeah. like to visit a castle. Oh, I'd like to visit a castle. I'd like to go to the Met every day. I'm right. so no, jealous. This is an amazing, amazing. It's, so, it's been, it's been fascinating. Yeah. And since, um, since you're writing a book about your senses and you've already yes. said that your, your sight is one of your primary senses, then yes. it would make sense. Right. So before we complete, I definitely want to get you um, to let listeners know and viewers know, how can people find out more about you? Tell us about this book you're working on. Yes. You know, if somebody wants to listen to your podcast, where can they find it? I'll just tell us about how, how we, we can find more of you. Excellent. So I have a website, GretchenRubin.com, and that's a great sort of place to find everything. You can find information about my books. You can take the Four Tendencies quiz. I've got all kinds of free resources there. From there, you can be linked to my podcast, which is called Happier with Gretchen Rubin. But you can get there wherever you listen to your podcast. And that's every week I talk about how to be happier um, with my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, the one who's clutter blind. She's an obliger, (laughs) by the way. It's a great Uh, podcast, you guys. Definitely listen. Oh, Thank you. And I'm all over social media at Gretchen Rubin, and I love insights and observations and questions. So I love to connect with people that way. Um, I just create, because we, one of the things we talked about a lot is how people approach aims differently. And so I've noticed that with different kinds of journals and trackers that people have really different ways of using them. So I just um, have, have come up with these new journals, which I'm super excited about. And if you want to look at that, that's at happiercast.com slash shop. You can see a Don't Break the Chain tracker. That's great for people who like. Those are great. Yes. Keep the the street going. Don't break the chain. There's a Know Yourself Better journal if you want to like to have that self-knowledge we talked about. There's a one sentence journal if you want the habit of keeping a journal, but you're like, I'm not going to write for it. I have some clients that need this one. Yeah. Just the one one sentence sentence journal. This is great. Just starts you off, right? And then the the smallest step here of journaling. Go ahead. And then I have this great tackle box, which is because some people love a to-do list. And some people love a to-do list. And some people want a could-do list. What All the things they could do. So it's all these different lists for the different styles of list keeping and like little sticky pads. Um, so that's really fun um, to check out. Um, that's a great gift too, the tackle box. It is because, because and then like once a today list, like it's all the different ways that we like to mm-hmm. kind of remind ourselves what we need to get done and stay focused on our aims. Because one of the things is you make an aim, but then you got to, you got to remember, you got to remember it. Um so um, I got it. I have a newsletter. You can go to GretchenRubin.com slash newsletter yeah. if you want to get my weekly newsletter. I have a daily newsletter called Moment of Happiness where I share a happiness quotation because that's oh, I what that. I like. I get that one. I, was I love that one. <laughs> that's what I like to do when I was 10 years old is collect quotations. And I still love it now. So oh, I love that. So we'll end there. But I just want to let you know, I mean, I could talk to you for five bazillion hours. You are just um, such a light. And thank you for sharing your happier tips, tricks, and self with us. And I just want to remind everyone the road to happiness is paved with healthy habits. Check out GretchenRubin.com and please listen next week for another riveting conversation on a powerful habit that can change your life. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Thanks, Gretchen. Thank you. 
Thank you for tuning in to Habits for Happiness. Please join Lady Fuller for another edition of the program next Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, discover how to find your new happy place.